Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Nick Carter from The Solution of a Remarkable Case. And joining me for the discussion is producer Andrew. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. Uh, Andrew, we always do a little bit at the beginning where we talk about how did you come to Nick Carter? So how did you come to Nick Carter? You uh, sent me a text saying, hey, we're going to record about this sometime soon. Uh, Find it, read it. Yep. <laughs> I think I sent you a link. I, did, I, did I, I know you did send me a link. Yeah. Um, I tried to find it on audiobook and, and despite the preponderance of Nick Carter content available on audiobook, I could not find this one. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting one, which we will get into uh, for this. The way I came to this is um, in grad school, reading about the history of pulp or dime novels and pulp fiction. Uh, the name Nick Carter came up in several like surveys that kind of like ran through some of the big characters and big, big aspects of this. And it always stuck out to me that I have never heard of Nick Carter outside of discussions of what a big deal he was in the era of dive novels and pulp, uh, pulp magazines. And so um, now when I teach a survey of American literature, I take a day where I talk about the emergence of, of popular culture and I have them read a Nick Carter story as an example of like uh, something that was pervasive and would have been like part of cultural literacy to be familiar with Nick, Nick Carter in the late 1800s. Like people just casually making references to Nick Carter stories and yet has disappeared from our popular consciousness and from our entertainment industry, which is shocking because so much of our entertainment industry is about uh, reviving or uh, adapting existing intellectual property. And uh, when we get to the trivia, I will go into how extensive Nick Carter's presence was. Um, but uh, he's just he's just gone. So I always find that kind of fascinating just from uh, a popular culture history aspect that there is uh, th- this property that thrived for decades on decades and has just stopped. And I, I, I keep waiting for like seeing that there's going to be some new project that's going to involve Nick Carter at some point. I'm going to assume that most of our listeners have likewise never heard of Nick Carter. <laughs> um, usually when I pull my students uh, and ask if they've ever heard of Nick Carter before they read this short story, maybe one student will say like, I think I've heard the character's name like in a reference in a detective story that I read or a TV show that I watched. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they name dropped Nick Carter somewhere as just kind of an intertextual reference. But like the the prevalence would would make him within conversation with like Sherlock Holmes or Poirot or Agatha Christie. Yeah. Uh, you know, pre- predating, uh, like, like in 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 sync with Sherlock Holmes, predating Agatha, Agatha Christie, uh, but at that level, uh, and yet, right? Like, yeah, like this is this is a mystery name. This is a detective mm-hmm. name. Yep, absolutely. So I guess let's just jump into some of the trivia. This is this character was created in 1886, and to this day is one of the most published characters in American literary history. Even though, from what I've been able to find. Nothing new has been published since nineteen, like nineteen seventy-five. I think is the last uh, publication about Nick Carter. And even with that lag between nineteen seventy-five and the present, he still remains one of the most published characters ever. Um, he is the creation is credited with uh, Ormond G. Smith as offering the idea, and then John R. Coryell becoming the writer. Um, in the history of dime novels, 
Uh, Smith is a very big name. This is, I believe, the son of um, Street and Smith was a, was a publisher, and uh, this is the son of that Smith, uh, the, one of the very first and largest publishers of dime novels in American history. So, um, so uh, a nepotism publication. <laughs> oh yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, they, they were keeping it in the family. Um, after Coriel wrote uh, the first adventure of Nick Carter as a dime novel, other writers would take over and continue the character's adventures. Uh, one writer, Frederick Van Ren- Renesler Day, <laughs> Van Renesler Day, uh, he wrote over 1,000 Nick Carter stories. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, and some of these would be short stories, meaning five pages uh but a lot of them would be the length of what we read for today which i think is about probably uh like 40 to 50 pages uh if it was in like a regular publication Mm -hmm. uh in length uh so not long but think about writing 1000 of those length stories yeah i mean like i'd say reading this was you know, more than more than 20 minutes, less than an hour and a half. You know, like I, I, I had to do it in multiple sittings, but. But it could be consumed in one sitting and not feel like you're putting yourself out. To- yeah, like you could you could do this in the length of time that it takes to watch a movie. Oh, definitely, definitely. And and maybe maybe a TV show. And so we, we I kind of just chose a random one just from uh, uh, when I was going to sign a Nick Carter story to my classes, like what is accessible through uh, some online database and uh, several of the Carter stories are um, uh, available in uh, various universities have scanned uh, or uploaded versions of dime novels in uh, in order to preserve like the, the dime novel history of American literature. And so there's, there was uh, quite a few, but the solution of remarkable case is one that got mentioned several times. So that's kind of how I settled on that one, just from um, seeing that it was, it was something that got referenced um, pretty regularly. The character, uh, this is from a dime novel era publication, which is late 1800s up through the early 1900s. Then a lot of dime novel publishers are going to shift over into publishing pulp magazines instead of dime novels, but they're going to keep keep a lot of their existing characters uh, and story styles as they shift to pulp magazines. Do you know why they shifted to pulp magazines, Andrew? Why? A shift in uh, law made it cheaper to ship magazines than books. And dime novels, because of the format size, were considered books. And so they just kept printing essentially the exact same stuff, but on slightly larger pages and called it a pulp magazine <laughs> instead of a, a dime novel. Um, can I also say, like, I, you, you saying that this is like the 1800s, late, yeah. late 1800s, turn of the century, basically. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I was kind of picturing this as 1920s. And so it does tweak my, like, interpretation of it. A little bit, and I'm trying to think now. Like, how much stuff have I actually read from like turn of the century? Because yeah, I think I've probably like the canon probably starts a little later than that in a lot of cases. Like F. Scott Fitzgerald is is the 20s, mm-hmm. and so this is like a generation before that. Yeah, and, and you know, in the late 80- so mid 1800s, you're going to get uh, you know your gothic romanticism. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you get your Edgar Allan Poe and uh, some of the stories. Uh, Post-Civil War, you're going to end up with, I mean, a lot of big canon names are still going to be publishing. So you get Mark Twain. Right. Uh, you get your Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Um, you know, there, there's a lot. But this style of, of what is really, truly pop culture is an emergence of that late 1800s where there's 
the technology has reached a point where you could actually cheaply mass produce material. So even like Edgar Allan Poe, he's writing to literary magazines and publications that are not necessarily kind of like for the masses, the way dime novels are truly marketed to the masses. This is where we're going to get the emergence of mass produced and mass consumed entertainment. And, uh, and, and particularly like mass reading, because even Edgar Allan Poe, that would have been in many cases like performed. His poetry might have been read aloud. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, and, and so this is the emergence of what is truly American popular culture is happening with with these dime novels. And as you read, like this story, it is not part of the canon. <laughs> you know, it, it's it, it is quick writing that is meant to kind of just propel the reader forward uh, as we read it. Uh, and the the craft of the writing, it really does feel like it uh, to a degree. It was like, how quickly can I get the story out? Because then I got to start writing the next Nick Carter story. Um, it does not feel like this was slaved over to really tie together every nook and cranny of a mystery and have like the reveals happen. Uh, you know, and the reader like is the reader one step ahead or one step behind or a main character. Not, you know, none of that. It's just like, okay, uh, here's a little vignette of adventure that leads him to this next vignette of adventure that leads him to the next vignette of adventure, mm -hmm. and then we learn the solution. Yeah, I, I, they were like, what, five or six kind of sequences mm -hmm. throughout this one? Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to see exactly I, this this particular Nick Carter story. I know, let's see, 1891, written in 1891. Uh, the one that we're talking about. But like I said, the, the character by then had been around for five years. Uh, but just to dig into some of how long it goes, it, it's really hard to track down exactly like how many time novels and how many pulp magazine stories were published with Nick Carter. Uh, but as we transition out of pulp magazines uh, and uh, where, where paperbacks are going to become a dominant, you know, the, the dominant form of publishing for, for the masses um, in 1964, the first of 261 Nick Carter paperback novels is published. Oh my gosh. Uh, okay. Here's the, okay. The last one of those was published in 1990. And that's where from there on, I can't find any publications about Nick Carter. So between 1964 and 1990, 261 Nick Carter novels. Now these stories have a character called Nick Carter, but they are shifting the character from the private eye version that we have in the late 1800s and early 1900s into the spy milieu of a James Bond. It's definitely trying mm -hmm. to ride the James Bond wave, which feels totally in line with the character that we read. Oh yeah, yeah, like okay, it's it's he's having a different adventure, but this character could definitely be a spy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so those those novels get called Nick Carter Killmaster, um, and uh, the I think that last one from what I read, the one that's published in 1990, like has an essay in the back that's all about like the Nick Carter character from the pulp magazines and the uh, you know the dime novels and, and like the whole history of this character. <laughs> and I want to read this quote from Wikipedia. Two additional books. Uh, are frequently erroneously listed as Nick Carter stories. Um, one is called Meteor Eject, and that was a memoir by a Royal Air Force pilot named Nick Carter that was published in 2000. So there's this book called Meteor Eject that on the cover looks kind of like adventure and it's written by Nick, or, you know, it says it's by Nick Carter. So some people end up grouping that as a Nick Carter novel. And then the other one is a 2005 book called Brotherhood, which is an autobiography of singer Nick Carter of the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> that sometimes erroneously gets put in a list of Nick Carter stories. Um, as far as how big this character was, so uh, we get the emergence of pop culture 
with with dime novels and the characters all over dime novels uh one of the next big waves of uh of popular culture is film uh you know getting invented in the late 1890s there are six silent films in 1908 featuring nick carter that are made in france just Uh, in 1908 just in 1908 france is also gonna make two spy films in the 1960s i think inspired by that Killmaster version of the character uh, but in the silent era of films, there are four German silent films that are made with Nick Carter in the 1920s. I want to watch those. I love German silent films. Um, and uh, MGM made a trilogy of films in the 1930s and 40s with the Nick Carter character. And <laughs> Columbia made a Chick Carter serial in 1946. That is Nick Carter's son, Chick. <laughs> uh, okay. Sometimes it seems like, from what I was reading, they couldn't get rights to Nick Carter, but somehow they arranged rights for his son, Chick Carter, for less money. Uh, <laughs> so this is not the only appearance of Chick Carter in the adaptations we're going to talk about. And there was also a made-for-TV movie in 1972. I can't remember which network that was on. Uh, and then there's a Czechoslovakian film in 1977. And that's the end of the film adaptations. But I mean, that's from like the silent film era to the 1970s. People were doing Nick Carter mm-hmm. films. And again, the character's just gone. Uh, in radio, there was Nick Carter, a master detective that ran from 1943 to 1955, a 12-year run. Um, sometimes this was a half-hour show that would only air on Sundays, and sometimes it was a 15-minute show that aired five times a week, uh, depending on you know what the needs of the broadcaster were. And there was also Chick Carter, Boy Detective, a spinoff about Nick's son that aired from 1943 to 1945. <laughs> adopted son, it says. Adopted son. Oh, adopted. Yeah. I love... I mean, we learned this. I love anytime you add the, like the boy detective or girl reporter <laughs> moniker mm-hmm. to, to something that that always strikes me as like this. This is a title worth worth having right now. Uh, in comic books, <clears throat> there were Brazilian and Italian comic books <laughs> in the 1940s about Nick Carter. This character was everywhere in yeah. every media. He's an uh, international icon. Yeah, and uh, just I'm so fascinated with the fact that we no one knows about Nick Carter anymore. All right, well, before we move on to a discussion of this Nick Carter story, listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode, and we especially want to thank any of you who are supporting us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we are watching or reading that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast, and we also give monthly updates on our fantasy box office. And I will just say I had the Super Mario movie, and that's my update about that uh <laughs> still a little frustrated with the critics though all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss all right on to the summary of the solution to a remarkable case and i will just say before i do this this story was written in 1891 <clears throat> sensitivity readers were not a thing i'm just going to put that out there <laughs> before we get to one particular story beat <laughs> Uh, in this adventure. Chapter one of The Solution to a Remarkable Case is called The Murder in 47th Street. Eugenie La... La <laughs> I'm going to struggle with this whole name. Eugenie La Verde has been found dead in her home, locked in her bedroom with no clue to how she was killed. She was strangled, and there's evidence of a struggle in the room, but obvious money and jewels were not touched by the attacker that are just lying about in the room so the motive of the murder is a mystery as the only person with a key to the room suspicion falls on the maid but 
The shock of finding her mistress murdered causes a spiral in the maid's health. And just before she dies, she arranges for all of her life savings, the maid's life savings, to be used as a reward for the location of the murder of Eugenie. So the police can't get any leads. And the inspector chief gives a call to Nick Carter, the only man who can solve the unsolvable mystery. Chapter two is the interview. And this entire chapter, if I'm remembering right, it is just dialogue without even like a single, suddenly phrases of who's talking. It's just right. quotation mark, quotation mark, quotation mark, quotation mark, all the way down. Yeah. And so you have to just like ex- assume the exchange. And if you lose track of it, you kind of just have to like catch back on. Yeah. As uh, people say- are asking and answering questions to each other. Uh-huh. And uh, like these voices are not like super distinctive. Uh, it is just think of like generic old timey patter. Of, mm-hmm. of like think hardboiled detective this is what uh, like raymond chandler like hardboiled detective voice is coming out of this kind of tradition of you know reading these kinds of stories is where raymond chandler is going to find i think his particular speech patterns so and, and and this sequence is easier than later sequences because in later sequences you have three or more characters yeah. doing the same kind of interaction i'm like what like how is somebody supposed to process this uh-huh. but but with just two it's like okay they're alternating so Nick Carter is a master of disguise, and he rarely meets anyone with his real face. The police chief is one exception. The chief asks Nick to solve the murder using whatever methods he wants, but there can be no official connection between Nick and the police. This whole chapter is just back and forth dialogue, no textual identifiers of the speaker, setting, or tone. It's just reading the spoken word over the whole thing. Chapter three is called The First Clue, C-L-E-W. Apparently we hadn't standardized that spelling just yet. There, there were a couple of things where I was like, oh, non-standard spelling. Yep. Uh, or at least not by modern standards. Yeah. Uh, so Nick Carter goes out disguised as a plumber and he searches the house uh, where the murder took place. He doesn't find anything suspicious except one loose board on a stair. After searching, he gets hungry and he goes to a restaurant where he overhears a suspicious conversation. Two men lament that the police chief has called on Nick Carter to talk to, to talk about the case, but they don't think Nick Carter has even left his house since the police chief visited. Nick follows these men as they leave. And this is, where you're going to get a sense of uh, Nick Carter's detective style is just kind of <laughs> wandering to the right place at the right time. <laughs> it's, this is not the best detective move that he's ever had. It's just like, I'm oh, yeah, I, I got hungry here. and I overheard while in disguise. Yep. OK. Chapter four is called Shadowing. Nick changes disguises from a plumber to an old man and follows the men undetected. He follows one of them to the pier, and he gets in a rowboat to follow the man. So the man's walking along the pier, and Nick's going to be rowing in the rowboat, hopefully undetected. But the man stops and looks directly at Nick. He he was detected. Again, as I typed out the summary, I started to realize, like, maybe Nick's actually not the, the best <laughs> detective in history. Chapter 5 is called Trapped. But, but let me tell you, the narrator certainly is going to tell you that he's the best. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's Nobody can to... stand up to Nick Carter in any capacity, yeah. according you to the narrator. Story, and it's just like propulsive action that you love as you go along. You're like, what's going to happen next? This is great. When you start to write up the summary of the story, you're like, he didn't actually do anything to find that out. <laughs> well, and then uh, uh, like, we'll get to this when when we get to a fight. The narrator's like, but this is no problem for Nick Carter, the giant the little giant. The, the, the little giant. And Nick Carter can knock people out with a single punch. He Nick can Carter up, can kick open a door. He can pick up two grown men at once. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, oh, you know who'd be a great Nick Carter, Joseph, with with what we've just described there? Go on. Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. Because he, he has. Tom, Tom Cruise is, look, is but, the Nick Carter. But he does everything. 
Yes. I like that. Uh, okay. Um, let's see. The man who's looking at Nick, this is chapter five, trapped. He only actually wants to hire Nick to ferry him down the bay. After the man won't tell Nick where they're going, Nick refuses to go any further unless the man pays now. The man draws a gun and tells Nick to keep rowing, but Nick refuses to row until he's been paid. And the man throws $5 at him and tells Nick they're going to a boat that's floating a little bit away from shore in the bay. Nick drops him off and then rows away and waits for the darkest hour of night. And then he rows back to this boat and sneaks aboard. But Nick Carter is hit he over the head. He rows back silently because Nick Carter can do that. Yes. No, no sound. Not but, a single sound. But he is hit, hit in the head from a hidden foe and knocked unconscious. And when a man inspects him, he realizes that this is someone wearing a disguise and must be a cop. Chapter six, Tony the Strangler. Nick wakes up with five men with knives interrogating him. He battles them all and wins quickly. <laughs> this is the chapter you're talking about. Yes. It's just. Yep. <laughs> five men with knives. Nah, nah, I, I'm, I'm groggy coming out from unconsciousness. I'm still going to take them all. No, no worries. No fear about it. No self-doubt. And then he's going to kick in the locked door to escape. <laughs> so, uh, but then instead of diving into the water, he hides on the boat's deck and overhears one of the men named Tony brag about being a strangler. Very suspicious considering the murder that he's investigating. Chapter seven, the strangler's threat. So now Tony or Nick is just kind of hunched down behind some stuff on the deck. <laughs> That's what it says. He's, he's just crouched and they're not looking very hard because surely he's not still on the boat. Yeah. And, and, but now they're up there uh, muttering that it must have been Nick Carter, the little giant who defeated them. Nick, Tony, Nick is so good at listening to people have conversations. That is that is his ultimate detective skill. That is maybe his superpower. Like this is before superheroes. But if he has a superpower, besides being, you know, basically as strong as three or four men, he also has superhero going on. Uh, the, the boss orders Tony to go to find Nick and kill him. Tony brags that his string never fails. And then the men row off in a boat. Nick follows listening to the sound of their oars to know where they went. So he gets, it. I think he got in another boat. But like I said, it, I wrote the summary a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I think they, there was one more boat that he used and he follows silently, but listening to their sounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He is totally silent. Yeah. And he's going to find their boat tied up, uh, but he's going to realize this is a trap. And he realizes this just before he shot out, but he dodges the bullet and then he beats up the man who shot at him. <laughs> I'm sorry. This like when you summarize it, it sounds way less like thrilling. It sounds more like a kid describing how cool his adventure is. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of have to go into this with that in mind. Like this is just kind of like, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? And then it does. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it is written better. No offense, Joseph, than your, your summary. Oh, I, of 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 these actions, right? There's there's more thrill and more like, oh, yeah. Well, and I will say, like every semester, well, like I said, I use this in my survey American Lit, which most of the readings they get are like canon texts of what you expect in the Norton anthology. Then I have them read this as well. And at the end of the semester, I always like have them like tell me what their favorite readings because I gotta swap readings in and out occasionally just for my own interest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and there's always some students who say like, it was Nick Carter. Like I know that was not actually like, the best written story, but I had the most fun reading that. And this oh, yeah. is a fun story to read. This was so much easier to read than stories in the Norton anthology. And so, like, we're having some fun as we're doing the summary, but just know, if you picked it up, you would probably have a good time reading it. Yeah, like, you will you will enjoy this. Uh, so, um, let's see. Nick is, uh, after he beats up the guy that just shot at him, he's going to go back to Eugenie's house, and he goes to the room she was murdered in and thinks he hears a sound like rustling fabric, but a search can't find the source of this noise. 
and but he does notice that some pillows that were on the bed have been moved so someone's been in the room and it feels like they were there right before he got there chapter eight fight with a shadow now he also he like goes down to somewhere else in the house and he stands silently for like two hours Mm -hmm. to see if anybody else moves in the entire house and the house is silent after this so whatever sound he heard it's a source is either completely gone or was is even more patient than nick carter which i don't think it's possible yeah i mean he he can hold perfectly still for two hours how long do you get bored standing perfectly still? Like, how long does it take for you to say, I I can't do this anymore? <laughs> I need something Ooh. to do. I mean, like, at times in my life, like, how long could I have, like, how long have I held significantly still? I don't know. There was, so there was a period of time in high school where I I didn't sleep well, and I would, like, roll onto one side and basically like stay on that side as long as I possibly could without sleeping mm-hmm. and then roll onto my back and do the same thing. And then like roll onto my other side. And I remember some nights, like I would avoid looking at the clock for as long as possible, but I'd go through that cycle a few times. And you then I'd look at the clock chicken, chickening your sleep habits. Well, I, I mean like I'd, I'd roll over like, three or four times and then i'd look at the clock and it and it had been two hours um and so i can like hold still in a bed for you know 45 minutes probably at least but standing up mm, that's a different matter okay random story time uh inspired by this (laughs) this tangent uh the other night a little bit ago there was a very strange sound in my house like it almost sounded like a, we have a, a freezer drawer and it almost sounded like the scraping of the freezer drawer opening and closing several times in a row. And it was like 1145 at night. And I'm like, what? like, is my teenage daughter up trying to find a snack? But it felt like it happened several times. It just was making no sense. So finally I got up and went out to go look and there was no one in the kitchen and it was silent, but I know I'd heard the sound. And so I stood there silently for, for two hours, like Nick Carter, two straight out. No, I stood there silently like what in the world was making this sound? And then I called out like, like Lizzie, like my daughter, you know, her name and, and no response. You and didn't go we, out with a flashlight or no. I, I mean, it was, the, it was, the, I, I, but the, like it was completely dark out there. And my, I mean, if my kids had been there, they're leaving lights on. That's one thing I can tell you now. Right. Your, your <laughs> kids would not have been doing this in the dark. Yeah. And, and even if they were gone, the lights would have been on. Cause I can't tell you how many nights I've gone out and had to turn off lights throughout the house. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I was like, I know what you're I would not have been able to do this in the dark. So I'm standing there silent in the dark. And I'm like, what in the world is making this sound? All of a sudden, an upside down cardboard box skitters across the floor. <laughs> and my soul left my body. <laughs> Sweet relief. <laughs> as, as I passed on from the mortal coil <laughs> in shock of this, uh, this skittering cardboard box that just moved across the kitchen floor all of a sudden. We, we have a new cat that somehow had gotten into an empty box and got it flipped over on itself is what had happened. And it had been going back and forth in under this cardboard box. And that was the sound I was hearing. It, like smacking into things or. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was the sound of the cardboard box dragging across the floor is what I'd been hearing. That was the weird sound, <laughs> but it's timing of waiting like just long enough to be like, what in the world was going on? And then, and then suddenly it skitters and moves across the floor. <laughs> did you, did you think about this Nick Carter story? No, no. Uh, but anytime I think of jump scares for the rest of my life, I'm going to be thinking about my cat in an upside down cardboard box. 
just like somehow patiently waiting. And then and <laughs> just this long is enough why, for you to relax. This is why you've got to wait like two hours with yeah. with vigilance because it could be a cat in a cardboard box. Yeah. All right. Uh so, so, so Nick is extremely disciplined, stands in the dark for two hours, waiting. And now he's gonna go home. He's like, no leads here. So I'm going back home. Can can we throw in, by the way, that he is married and is concerned about his wife? It's mentioned once. <laughs> The wife does not appear in the story. Let's just say this this text not going to pass the Bechdel test, which we talked about recently. I know, but 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 I was fascinated when he's like he like expressed concern about his wife Ethel. I think it it was mm-hmm. because somebody might come to his house. I was like, you were gone for like thirty six hours. Yeah, and uh, we 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 don't we don't get any sense of the relationship that he has, like how loving or caring. I wonder or if it's in other stories. Yeah. Um, I would. This feels like the kind of character who should be single. Uh, yeah, th- this would be single a single character in a modern story. Yeah, uh, but anyway, so he's he's failed to find any leads after chasing these men onto a boat, uh, knocking one of them out, going back to the crime scene. He, he's got nothing. Getting shot at. But as he goes home, he realizes Tony the Strangler is just watching his house. So new lead <laughs> right now. Yes, he he walked into it. Yes. And uh, he's going to lead Tony on a chase. He's realizing Tony's waiting for someone to go into his house. So he kind of like, uh, like almost like a fish, you know, he hooks him and, and like starts moving along and Tony follows him. He's going to lead him on a long chase through the city and then get into a corner and get the jump on him. Uh, but then he's going to realize as he's starting to fight Tony, Tony is a snake charmer and has a snake with him. <laughs> and, yes. And the, the snake is coming out of uh, Tony's jacket. I think it is. So, so Nick knocks Tony out, but the snake, Still, still a problem here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, chapter nine: a scoundrel scheme. The snake is going to protect Tony's unconscious form, like he's going to writhe it all around, so Nick can't actually get get close. Nick's going to step away and observe from a hidden spot. Oh, uh, this is this is also at some point in the story. Like, we're getting some of the stuff where it's like, okay, this feels very familiar and modern, and I would never have guessed that some of these concepts would be over a hundred years old, but like his house he secretly has bought the house behind it so he can sneak in yeah. to his home without people seeing and i'm like oh this is like this is like jason Bourne's spy safe house kind of stuff yeah and like this is over 100 years old people are writing in this this sort of stuff it's like i bet nick carter has a safe house somewhere in the city he has like drop points where he's got cash and weapons all throughout the city like it feels like that kind of character yeah definitely so Nick's going to like do his crouching again and watch Tony regain consciousness slowly. <laughs> and Tony <laughs> wakes up and then Nick is going to tail him and listen to his conversation with the other criminals when, when Tony catches up with them. Tony mentions he has a lot of snakes and plans to release some in Nick's house if his next attempt to strangle him with a cord fails. Uh, one of the crooks mentions Eugenia and uh, Tony angrily tells him to never mention her name or how she died again. Nick heads home, worried for his wife Ethel. If Tony releases snakes into their home, this is the one mentioned about right there. Right. <laughs> Chapter 10, solving problems. I feel like that could be the title of like a lot of Nick Carter stories, just solving problems. Yeah. So Nick goes back to Eugenie's house uh, and discovers a hidden passage between the cellar and the main floor. He also is going to discover a different passage leading from the cellar to the streets. So you can get from the main floor to the cellar and from the cellar to the streets with no one in the house knowing is basically what he discovers here. Uh, so now he has a means of entering the house. He has a murder suspect in Tony, but he does not have a motive yet. 
So Nick returns home and he sees Tony is waiting for him again. So Nick now calls the inspector and asks for some men to come around and help take a man in. So Nick goes and he surprises Tony, knocks him unconscious again. The snake raises its head to protect Tony. Nick shoots the snake without wounding Tony. He is an expert with the gun. Tony was never in danger, readers. Don't this worry. This is also a crowded street. Yeah. Well, no one's in danger, though, because Nick Carter is the one shooting. <laughs> uh, so the police are going to come and take Tony. And I mean, I mean, the, the double concussion is probably not great for Tony. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely the era where uh, that was not a concern. Uh, our, our understanding of CT, not. Yeah, <laughs> not like concussion time. protocols, not <laughs> observed. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're playing football without helmets at this point <laughs> in colleges. Uh, so uh, let's see. The police take Tony away and lock him up. Nick goes and disguises himself. Now, this is the maybe the most uncomfortable part. He's going to disguise himself as a black man, and the N-word will be used uh, in in a dis- description of, of him. Uh, so unfortunate marker of 1891 when the story was published. So under dis- in disguise, Tony or Nick is going to track Tony's friends and follow him. He is uh, going to sabotage a buggy that the criminals are riding in so that a wheel falls off so that Nick can follow them at a more leisurely pace. <laughs> Basically, they were <laughs> he didn't want to keep running after the buggy, so he makes the wheel fall off. And now he can just walk after them. And he sees them enter a home that must be their secret headquarters. Uh, th- there is villainous secret headquarters in the story from 1891, too, which is mm-hmm. another one of those tropes that like, feels like a constant, but you don't actually know when it started. It was at least there by 1891. At some point, I think he had a cab follow somebody. Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, follow, you know, get in the cab and follow that guy. Yeah. So that's that's apparently an extremely old trope. All right. Chapter 11. Little a couple spoilers in the title here. It's called uh, or this is chapter 11. Two murders in one night. So Nick has followed the crooks and he's going to listen in on another conversation. <laughs> really big on listening in. They're not going to know he's there in the secret headquarters with him. They're just going to talk it all out. So they're going to lament that Nick may be aware of their this hideout. And so they should uh, move to Eugenie's house uh, because the police have given up on cracking that murder. So Nick's like following them. They don't think it has anything to do with Eugenie's murder at this point. One crook says that he doesn't want to go back to that house uh, since they would never be alone there. They also reference the strangeness, strangeness of Tony going there to feed his sister's murderer. Uh, when the crook refuses to go to the other house, the leader of the gang just shoots him. Yep. You don't want to switch headquarters? Fine. You're staying in this one. Uh, then he talks to his other accomplice about getting rid of Tony before their real plan, which is worth $100,000, comes about on Friday night. Uh, and then, uh, just for good measure, the leader is going to kill one other member of the group to ensure that the survivors' shares are larger. We've got this $100,000 deal. We don't want to split it between too many people. I will kill you as well. And that is how we get to two murders in one night. Now, Andrew, I read this. and I've written up the summary. And uh, it's escaping me. What was the actual plan for this $100,000? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't think it actually. I read it several weeks ago. Yeah, I, I don't think it gets explained in the story. <laughs> I, yeah, I couldn't tell you. I'm really, I'm really pretty sure it never gets explained. It's just a thread that gets introduced here and dangles for the rest so of the So that there's motive. Yeah. Uh, chapter 12, bringing threads together. Nick returns to New York and visits the inspector. He tells him about the murders that he just witnessed, and the inspector's going to send some people to go look into the bodies there. Uh, but he tells the inspector to meet him at Eugenie's house the next night. Then he goes and visits Tony in prison. Tony agrees to come to Eugenie's house, 
uh, so that he can feed the killer. Nick and the inspector uh, capture the two criminals that are now thinking Eugenie's house is going to be their headquarters. They just go there and capture them. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, Nick takes Tony in. So chapter 13, uh, this is the end. Eugenie's murderer finds another victim. Tony goes into Eugenie's bedroom and claps. And a snake comes out from behind a painting on the wall. It is a 12-foot python. So all the police <laughs> inspections and uh, Nick Carter, master detectives, inspections of this room. No one tried to move this painting on the wall uh, at all. Behind the painting was a 12-foot python. The python climbs up Tony's body. While Tony moves another picture to reveal a cage with a rabbit in it. So there were two multiple living creatures in this room that no one had ever detected by smell or sound when trying to solve Eugenie's murder. Uh, the rabbit. Uh, so, so Tony's going to open the cage to get the rabbit out to feed the python. But the rabbit's going to escape and run out of the door. And the python is going to be angry and attack Tony and strangle him. Uh, Nick's going to shoot uh, the python in the head. And Tony has just enough life in him to tell his story. He and his sister were from a family of snake charmers, but Eugenie hated Tony's criminal ways. Uh, the python was Eugenie's pet, uh, and Eugenie uh, told Tony she couldn't, uh, they couldn't be together. Tony and his friends had come to her house to demand money from her uh, because she's become wealthy at this point. Uh, the presence of these criminals riled up the python, and they ran from the room, but the python must have killed Eugenie in its anger. The end. That's it. It's the end of the story. Yeah, it's like kind of accidental. The python accidental was the killer. Murder. The python was the killer, which I, if you have ever consumed the complete works of Sherlock Holmes, this may sound a little familiar to a story called The Speckled Band. That story was written a year later from this publication. Uh, in that story, a snake is the murderer, uh, and uh, it's a much better written story. I will, like, in terms of craft, I will say that one is better. <laughs> and in terms of mystery and suspense, that one is better. I'm gonna, you know, I will, I will allow all that. Uh, but Arthur Conan Doyle, you know, famously borrowed the basic premise of Sherlock Holmes from Edgar Allan Poe's uh, Dupont detective. Mm -hmm. um, and it's possible that he borrowed the idea of a snake murderer that confounds police from Nick Carter. Uh, I can't prove it, but this was published in the year before that one. Uh, I, so like my first, my first thought with this is after, especially after we had done, uh, a, a DuPont mystery, mm -hmm. I am not a fan of the solution to the mystery being an animal and an accident. Yeah. It's uh, just not satisfying. I want motive and, and like murderous intent in my murder detective resolutions and so murder accidental animal murders has the is it a chimpanzee or a gorilla i can't remember. uh i think it's an orangutan orangutan that's what it is an orang utang <laughs> that's right ah, how could i forget that's the murderer in the edgar Allan poe murders of the because River it War. was mimicking someone shaving <laughs> now the sherlock holmes the speckled band case that one improves where it is deliberate motive of a trained snake that a snake charmer uses, I believe sound to goad the snake into coming out of the ceiling and murdering someone in a sealed room. Mm -hmm. uh, so that the, the, then the victim is found dead in a room that was locked from the inside. The sealed day. room mystery sounds is, is very enticing. And that's, that's more satisfying than just the, this family of snake charmers had a rogue Python that would get riled up and killed both of them. Yes. <laughs> in the end. 
Yeah, because because I'd say also the finale when when Tony is killed by the python. I mean, I think he had said, "Well, this python would never hurt me." Like or Eugenie. Yeah, and it's like so the answer is yes it did. Yes, in in both instances. <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, that's not the most satisfying thing." You know, you never want like the text to explicitly say, "Well, it's not going to be this because this reason." And then the solution is like, "Oh, well, that character was just wrong." It's like, but, but that's all the text I had to go on. Yeah, the text told me something. <laughs> and and then it's like, "Well, that character was wrong." It's like, "That's not like I kind of have to trust the text. Yeah, I I agree. It's it's super satisfying, and you you may have caught on, listeners, as I was reading through the summary. Um, this like as far as mysteries, not not that great, but as far as like just a straight up fun read, it it still works. You know, a hundred thirty years later. Yeah, <laughs> still, like adventure works. in the city, it's pretty great. Is it high culture? No, definitely not. Is it tightly plotted? No, it's it's kind of absurd and random how Nick Carter moves through this case. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if he hadn't had lunch or, or, or a late dinner, I guess, uh, he just never would have solved the murder. It's <laughs> basically until until the gang responsible for the murder decided to make the victim's house their new headquarters. That's when he would have solved the murder because he might have still been looking around there. But But he also might not have. <laughs> they've come by on the wrong day uh and th- and there's other elements where it's like you know i i poked a little fun about this in the in the solution we get the sense that like nick carter has moved every fiber of the carpet of this house in search for clues uh about yes. Eugenie's murder stood still for hours found the one loose floorboard in the stairway that's going to reveal the secret passageway later uh that goes to the cellar. like he's gonna it find didn't it. reveal it the first time he found it yeah but when he goes back he, he he investigates it deeper I mean, he is, he's checking nails and floorboards, uh, is the level. And in the room where the murder takes place, there is a 12-foot python and living rabbits. <laughs> that somehow... Pictures on a wall. And for whatever reason, the python doesn't come out, except when he's not there. And then it curls up on the bed, disrupts the pillows, and then hides again. So yeah. completely. For, mm-hmm. for two hours, it's like, snakes move around. Yes. And I think even more so than the snake, like, okay... Which, by the way, I've, I, I hate snakes. It's a phobia of mine. Like, uh, things without legs should not move as quickly as snakes do. That's just uh, a blanket statement for me. I'm not a fan of snakes, but because of my children's interests, I have found myself around some reptile shows. There is a smell to snakes. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's a distinct smell, and also there's I a have smell owned rabbit. a rabbit. Yeah, there's a smell. Mm-hmm. And if you're gonna use the rabbit to feed the snake, are you? You have to feed the rabbit more often than you have to feed the snake, in fact. And also, how many, like, was this a cage with 30 rabbits when the murder happened? Because <laughs> Tony keeps going back and feeding Eugenie the murderer because he loves the snake. Uh, it, it, but when he goes to feed it this time, there's only one one rabbit. I don't know. It, it, like, the logistics of this all kind of break down. But again, don't really care. <laughs> it's, yes. it's fun. To me, the, the biggest mystery is why is there no Nick Carter TV series on a streamer right now? Why is no one doing anything with this character that was so popular? Hundreds of novels and thousands of pulp uh, dime novels and pulp magazine stories. And yeah, this is as much content as as like a Law and Order or an ER. <laughs> yeah. Easily. There is so much material about Nick Carter, and he had proved 
popular for generations of consumers of entertainment. You know, from, from 1891 to 1990, there were Nick Carter stories being made. But in the last 30 years, nothing. Oh, it's just 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 fascinating. Uh, and yes, tastes change and storytelling evolves. And like this story, you could not do a straight up adaptation. <laughs> no. You would have to clean up some of the material and you'd have to improve uh, some of the how the, the mysteries are. Uh, but you but know, everybody evolved. is still consuming detective fiction. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's, it, and it's not just that they stopped making Nick Carter stories. It's that no one knows who Nick Carter is anymore. Yeah, he was forgotten. He's not obscure. He's vanished. Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting. Uh, Andrew, uh, we're probably, uh, we've had a lot of fun going through the summary, so we're not going to have as much for the discussion. Also, I will just say, thematically light. This story, uh, yeah. maybe not quite as much to dig into as some of the other stories that we've covered on this podcast. But do you have any thoughts on why why this was so fun? Like, where we just kind of keep saying it's kind of fun and, and entertaining, and and yeah, you could read it in one sitting. But why? What what works so well about it? I mean, there's a, a fun aspect to I don't know what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. I, I like I don't know. Fairly early on, I started to think, okay, it it's a snake. And probably at, uh, after Tony the Strangler has a snake <laughs> as soon as soon as he has a snake yeah, and possibly sooner than that, you know, there was like some implication that, you know, it, it was something like that. And maybe it was when uh, when Nick went to the house and heard something, but then couldn't determine anything. Well, even I think in part because of the pervasiveness or familiarity with Sherlock Holmes and the speckled band mm-hmm. is kind of a known story the idea of like a closed room murder with strangulation even if you've never read a smuggle band like just through cultural osmosis you may have picked up on the idea of You're like okay snake used as the murder uh, i'm sure it's been it's been stolen for csi episodes or, and, or yeah you know like a bone ncis or, you know, or bones like yeah mm-hmm. um and so it's possible that even just that idea had had come around enough that it kind of tickles at the mind of like uh is it a snake Yes, mm-hmm. yes, it is a snake. I, um, I, I would not have guessed twelve foot python. No, not necessarily. But uh, the uh, so I, I think the like, okay, I don't know where this is going to go next was really enticing, mm-hmm. and the the chapter breakdown was good. Right, there were cliffhangers at the end of chapters. Yes, and they were pretty good cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. The art of the cliffhanger was perfected over a hundred years ago. And, and, also it, and it say, hasn't gotten any better since then. Like when when he gets shouted at from the dock. Yeah, that's a perfect cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a it's a perfect commercial break. Yeah. Uh, and I was gonna say, not just the cliffhanger, but because this is such a short story that's being told, the chapters are all very short. So when you reach that you cliffhanger. Keep going. You skip ahead, you like you just take a glance, and you're like, it's a page and a half. Like the next chapter is literally a page and a half. I'm gonna read that whole chapter and see what happens. And then that one ends on a cliffhanger. And you're looking at the next one, like that one's three pages. Okay, I can I can read that. And I mean, you said you read it in multiple sittings. I definitely have read this and I've read it a couple times, which makes me mm-hmm. again pretty sure that there's no explanation of the hundred thousand dollar scheme that they have. Yeah, you you'd <laughs> probably be sure. Uh, <laughs> um but maybe, uh, it, I it, read it. maybe it's just extorting her. Yeah, well, no, because they're they're planning to go to her house. Right. And, and it's going to pay off. Oh, you're right. Dollars. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I definitely have read it in one sitting. I think that's one reason why is like you just kind of keep peeking ahead and you're like, oh, you know, this next little chunk isn't that long. Yeah, I, I did it in like three sittings in, in like two days. Uh huh. 
Um, and it was just like, oh, well, I've got 20 minutes now. I'll read three or four of the chapters. And then it's like, okay, there's still a little bit left. And I mean, I, I think a lot of storytelling has become decompressed where, mm-hmm. and, and we definitely have seen that like famously in comic books that has been a shift since the early 2000s to today that what used to be a one or two issue arc is now a six issue arc that they can repackage as a trade paperback and uh, everything takes longer. And uh, even, and they've, even as they've dropped uh, the ideas of BNC stories, uh, you know, the, the whole storytelling process has become more de- decompressed. I think we've seen it in uh, live action narrative storytelling because so many things become streaming miniseries that maybe used mm-hmm. would, would have been a film before uh, that now it's going to be uh, an eight issue or an eight episode miniseries on, on Netflix or a 10 episode thing on Apple Plus. Uh, and whereas before they would have tried to fit this into a two and a half hour movie. And yeah, even and, movie and now a um like a three episode arc of a, a, like a 20 episode series is now a six episode miniseries. Yeah. And even the length of movies, I think it's probably gone up if we, if we detract that, um, you know, from, from, uh, you know, 90 minutes to two hours being the standard. Now it's definitely two hours is, is a standard for, for live action films. If not longer, like it's not uncommon to have three hour films now. It just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's part of that. And so I think there's something about how condensed the action was uh for the entire story but also for every chapter none of these chapters lingered on subplots no (laughs) even if they were it seemed to be introducing a subplot you didn't get a resolution to it it just was there as something that nick carter's listening in on basically you're you're totally right like now that i'm thinking about it the the efficiency of consuming this is is really nice Mm -hmm. just knowing like okay it's coming around and you get that cliffhanger and you read the next chapter, which is really short. And it's like, oh, I'm not waiting a week to find out anything. I am not waiting through a commercial break to find out anything. But also, like in in modern storytelling, you might wait a week and it still might not actually be truly resolved. We might, might not really move on to the next story beat efficiently. Or even and this uh... was cliffhanger resolution move on mm-hmm. new page yep even in things that are like uh you know a mini series on a streamer where every episode is there it's still like for emily and i like we, we've watched a couple um like espionage thrill thriller kinds of uh mini series but they're like eight to ten episodes where it's like okay this is gonna be you know four or five nights where we're actually <laughs> able to watch two episodes back to back in order to get through this. Like it's, it's not like we're going to watch a movie tonight for our date night. It's like, we're starting this mini series and maybe uh, throughout the week, we'll get one or two more episodes in and the next date night we'll watch another two or three. And then, you know. and, and this also felt like I, I had full confidence. Like, Oh, if I read another one of these, it's going to be as thorough and satisfying. Like this does not have to be an event. This is, this is it. It is short. It is, complete and it and it's like truly complete within that short time frame and i don't know i mean i don't know the last thing that i consumed that was complete in such a short time like truly no this is all you need and if you want more it's going to be totally a different story with the same characters and everything but i mean this is like truly the the whole thing, right? You could take this and you could make a whole movie out of it. You could make an entire television episode, but it's like it was like watching a a twenty two minute thing, and it's genuinely self contained. It's not the it's not a pilot, 
It's not a first episode. It's not a mid-season thing. I didn't need to know anything else. I really didn't need anything else. But at the same time, it is part of like this sprawling franchise where mm-hmm. Nick Carter is everywhere. But all the Nick Carter stories are, in fact, self-contained. <laughs> yeah, it was so self-contained that I didn't even have a thought of, you know, how like, oh, do I need to know more about this detective and police captain relationship no i really don't need a single extra word about it there is a police captain he calls on nick carter that is absolutely everything that i needed yeah and i bet if we picked up another one we wouldn't get much more like it's not like a long like developing relationship between nick carter and the police Mm -hmm. detective and the the ins and outs Uh, like there was there it is there (laughs) there was more depth to like relationships and interactions in batman the animated series when i was nine years old (laughs) yeah and uh, and so, like, reading this is like, this has exactly what it needs. I don't think that there's any, like, I don't think there's a conspiracy. I don't think that there's, like, a deeper ring of corruption that Nick Carter is going to be fighting. And it's like, oh, he's, he's it's it's all connected to this thing, which is what it would be in a TV series. Mm-hmm. And it was just so complete is, is, like, the best word I can think of for it. It's like, this is entirely complete. Right here. And if I never read another Nick Carter, I don't like like I'm not itching for it. I don't need to find out what else happens. Right. Right. Which which is shocking considering how effectively they use cliffhangers here that it doesn't end with any kind of cliffhanger or connective tissue to the next story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think in one reason why it was so appealing for us and for a lot of my students is that in the face of how so much popular culture media in particular is produced and expected to be consumed today, that it is you're, you're getting a chapter of a larger story. Even if this is a self-contained Ant-Man film, you need to watch this to appreciate the next Avengers film, you know, and, and you need to watch this streaming show over on this service in order to know what's going on uh, in this movie that you go see in a theater Mm -hmm. uh, where everything has to be interconnected and you've got to consume it all. And it's just sprawling in its breadth. Uh, I feel like like James Bond feels like it started out like this and then became interconnected. Yeah, I uh, I mean, there really are there very many recurring villains in James Bond across. I, I don't I've not watched them all, but I, I, it does still feel, I think, largely episodic. But there's more with, uh, you know, some recurring characters on the side. But and then I feel know. like the most recent ones became like deeply interconnected. I haven't seen the most recent one that came out, but yeah, I, I think there's a little bit more that's happening with that. And uh, again, it's just the overall trend in, in, in storytelling. And like, I won't be surprised when they reboot James Bond, which they're about to do with a younger version. Cause mm-hmm. that character is always going to have a new story coming out. If it becomes like a five part saga of, you know, this actor's time in James Bond is actually all one air connected story as compared to like, uh, you know, this actor showed up and did three movies. And if you just you watch any of them in any order and it's fine. Yeah. All right, Andrew, do you have any final thoughts about Nick Carter? It's, it remarkable truly things? was enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, again, just a little uh, maybe sensitivity about the uh, the use of the N word and, and him putting on blackface and, and, and the blackface. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Not, OK, oh. if you take if you take that out, it's. It's more enjoyable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You definitely catch on it as a modern reader. But yeah, you know, I mean, you're this like, is a story oh, okay. that is 100, 
uh, 30 years old uh, at this point. Yeah, There's and many things that just do not age well, and that definitely does not. That is a big red flag that's not aging well. And it certainly feels like an insensitivity thing because it it, it is not integral. Like, you could completely just change that. Mm-hmm. You can completely remove all of that or say that it's disguised as something else, and yeah. everything continues to function as well. And so it's it's just unfortunate. Is, is like the main thing I feel for it. I would imagine it was thrown in to show, uh, again, like the the level or, or the variety of disguises that Nick yeah, Carter it's does. Just, like in every, in every Nick Carter story, you're going to see him put on three different disguises, and you're never going to know what it is going to be next. And this one is mm-hmm. a plumber, an old man, and an African-American. And it's like, oh, don't do that one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> the other two are fine. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Again, uh, listeners, if you're interested in Nick Carter, there's – Many of the radio shows are available through podcasts at this point, and there are audiobook adaptations of a lot of Nick Carter stories. Um, and a lot of these are also available, like on university websites in their in their digital archives. You can find a lot of Nick Carter stories from the the dime novel days. Um, and I th- I think I saw that there have been some like recent reprints, like no new stories, but there are some reprints that you can find of some Nick Carter stories out there. This is something that that interests you. Uh, but that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. Oh dear, I looked up how to pronounce this name and now it's gone because we were going to record this a couple weeks ago and then stuff came up and we actually didn't record. Is it Eugenie? Eugenie? <laughs> I remember I, I looked I it up. I have no idea. I couldn't, I had no, no concept of how to pronounce that name.